Welcome to Women Worth Knowing, the new title for the podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. Women Worth Knowing is not affiliated, associated, authorized, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with the website Women You Should Know. Hello, welcome to another podcast. We are so excited to be here with you, and we are excited to actually see each other from social distance. How about that? Hello. <laughs> Greetings over yes. there. <laughs> so we've got uh, we've got an exciting podcast today. Jasmine mm-hmm. is going to be talking about one of my favorite people. So again, this is Jasmine Allnut and Cheryl Broderson in <laughs> studio coming to you about mm-hmm. women you should know. Yes. All right. So tell us about Lilius Trotter. Lilius Trotter, another woman you should know. And it's true, Cheryl. How, what do we do? We have too many favorites. We're like, this we is do. one of my favorites. Wait, this is one of my favorites. <laughs> they all are, but for different reasons. That's right. So Lilius Trotter was just, man, what a gem. What a lovely soul, really. I think mm-hmm. that's a great way to describe her. She was English, born in 1853 into a wealthy aristocratic English family, but it was also a very God-fearing family. They really Mm -hmm. loved the Lord. And so she grew up knowing about Jesus, developed a relationship with him when she was young. And when her dad died, when she was 13, instead of driving her away from God, it actually made her run more Mm -hmm. into the arms of her heavenly father. That's really how she viewed it. And she really pressed into him even more, a little bit like Mary Slusser, who we talked about before, who had a lot of hardships that drove her to the Lord. And that was the same. The heartbreak in Lilia's life brought her closer to the Lord. So uh, skip ahead a little when she was a young woman. Well, I will say this. She was, like I said, a lovely soul. She was very sensitive, very attuned, of course, to the things of God, but also to beauty in nature. And she had an artistic eye. And so when she was, I think, 23, 22, 23 years old, she was with her mom in Venice on holiday because they were upper class, you know, so she could go do that. (laughs) So, well, it just so happened that at the place they were staying, John Ruskin, who is a famous uh, Victorian-era philosopher and artist, right? I think that was, he was a painter. Yeah. Painter, yes. Yeah, he was a famous uh, painter of the era, mm-hmm. and he was staying at the hotel. And Lilia's mom pulled one of those mom moves, you know, like, oh, I want him to see my daughter's artwork and give her some advice, you know? And <laughs> I think initially when she approached him, he was a little bit like, oh, no, one of these again, one of those annoying moms who just wants me to see how wonderful their daughter's artwork is. So, but he, you know, he humored her. He he went ahead and said, okay, I'll, I'll take a look. And he was amazed when he saw Lilia's little sketches and some of her just basic artwork she'd been doing, he could see she had a natural eye and a gift. And so she essentially became kind of his prodigy. Like he began to work with her. She and her siblings would go out to his estate for, you know, a couple of weeks and he would just work with her on her art and all of that kind of a thing. And so she became really, she got to the point where if she would have wanted to, she could have had a total career and become one of the most well-known artists of her day. That's what biographers all say about her. Like she had that kind of a eye and that kind of a gift. And again, like I said, Ruskin saw this, but during the time her art was developing, she was also developing her relationship with the Lord. And she had attended the Keswick Conventions. I don't know if we're ever going to have time to rabbit trail on those. Well, Keswick is up in the Lake District. And it was where a lot of well-known, dedicated Christians Mm -hmm. went just to, um, mainly for leadership. Yes. uh, To get just a greater appreciation and depth. Mm -hmm. And they would bring different speakers in. Mm -hmm. Amy Carmichael. Yep. That was a place that she went to. Um, Interestingly enough, my dad was asked to speak there twice. 
cool. So they would bring speakers in. I've actually been to Keswick. It's had two different sites. And what people don't realize is Keswick was just like a campground. <laughs> with, Originally? Like, mm-hmm, oh, wow. With a meeting room. Oh, wow. And it still is uh, mainly a campground. And with just people stay at bed and breakfast mm-hmm, around there. Mm-hmm. And then they come to a meeting. I'll, I'll tell you, the first time I went to Keswick, I'm like, wait, this is it? Yeah, I know where, you hear about how great it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and But it's always been there. But the area of the Lake, Lake District, District is beautiful. It's yes. just beautiful. Yeah. But it's about it's about a 40-minute ride from Windermere. Mm. So it's it's quite a bit in to right, the Lake right, Districts. Right. You pass like three lakes just to get there. Amazing. Oh, I love Yeah, well, and what a place to get close to the Lord. The Lake right. District is gorgeous. Right. That's true. So. Lots of places to walk yeah. and be alone with the Lord. Amazing. <laughs> So this so, was yes. a place. That, so, yeah, that was a place that it was kind of a springboard for her as right. well. She went and she was so inspired. Deal Moody happened to speak. I'm like, man, to be alive during oh, that time and hear these goodness. guys. Yes. And Taylor, all these people yes. spoke there. Yep. So Deal Moody was speaking and she just really felt like the Lord was calling her to soul winning and to really go all in with the Lord. And okay, so, wait, I just yes, have to yes. tell you, do you know that Brian has a connection with Deal Moody? What? Yes. How? So Brian's uh, great-grandfather. Cecil Haig, Sir Mm. Cecil Haig, came over from Liverpool, England, via Argentina and bought what was called the Stagecoach Inn, which is still a a California historic site. Mm. Anyway, his cousin, uh, Sir Wilfred Grenfell, who was a doctor to Labrador. Oh, really? Yes. That was his cousin? That was his cousin. So that would be Brian's like, I don't know, great, 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 great great uncle. Uncle? Okay. So anyway, he got saved at a D.L. Moody crusade. Oh, what a trip. That is, is so that cool. amazing. So oh, there's I this like, that. you know, second cousin of a third cousin yeah, yeah. <laughs> married to, you know, connection that Brian has to D.L. Moody. Oh, that is so neat. I love that. Yes. Christian heritage. I know. It all of a sudden it means so much. Who yes. cares about Washington, George Washington? I'm, you know, yeah. <laughs> Brian's related to, to Moody yes. somehow. <laughs> or to Grenfell. That's Grenfell, really cool. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um Okay, so anyway, if I can get over that really exciting yes. fact here, that's really neat. I didn't know that. All right, moving on here. But she realized, you know, that she was in a kind of a crossroads in her life because she saw the ability, the potential to really go for it with her art, but also to really go for it with the Lord. And I want to read this quote. Lilith Trotter is one of those very quotable people that you've never heard of. That's right. She has some really great uh, things that she wrote. And she said, I cannot give myself to painting in the way that Ruskin means and still continue to seek first the kingdom of God. And so that's really what it came down to in her life. And I think that that's what happens in all of our lives. Of course, there's many things we can pursue and the Lord enables us and gives us opportunities. But whenever it comes down to, am I going to not seek first the kingdom of God if I keep going this direction? That's when we need to really assess and Mm -hmm. say, wait a minute, Lord, as long as I can keep seeking first the kingdom of God, then it's worth going for. And so for her, she realized art would take her away from that. She would lose her passion for the Lord. And so she chose instead to go into ministry. So she starts working with the YWCA, Young Women's Christian Association. And for those of you who don't know, the YMCA, before it was a village people song, and like the YWCA, they were, and before they were just places where you did gymnastics and swimming lessons, they were originally um, established as Christian, Christian, yeah, Christian organization. Christian ministries. My dad, when it was still Christian ministry, used mm. to teach swimming at the YMCA in Long it. Beach. Oh, wow. And he I used to it. drive us by. It's um, torn down since then, but oh. it was a gorgeous old building. And he used oh, to always cool. point to it and go, I used to teach there. Okay, but I love it. back to Lillian. Oh, yeah, no, but I mean, but it was, it was such a, it was a ministry right. place and where people could come and get, you know, practical skills and 
uh, even meals and stuff, because this was during, you know, again, we're talking mid-late 1800s, Industrial Revolution. So mm-hmm. you've got a lot of working class folks. And so Lilius and the YWCA, they were reaching out to the working class girls, kind of like you mentioned the Shawleys last that's week, because right. that's like Amy Carmichael yes. and stuff. And we'll get to that and in we'll, a couple we weeks. Will. Yes. <laughs> but it was that kind of ministry, mm-hmm. reaching out to those girls. And then as they began to establish opportunities, they opened the first public restaurant, which is kind of a fun fact in London. Yes. And so that these girls could have a place to come eat. So they weren't just sitting out on the street, like trying to eat their meals between shifts at wow. the factory. So then she um, uh, starts having a heart for, as you know, they're developing Bible classes, girls are getting saved. She starts re- wanting to reach out to the prostitutes mm. in London. Mm-hmm. Big no-no at that time for an upper-class woman like Lilius, because the prostitutes were, you know, not only were they lower class, but the upper-class women, they looked at the prostitutes as those just, those dogs and the ones Vermin. that deceive our men mm-hmm. and all of that, because a lot of aristocratic men would go to prostitutes, mm-hmm. but the women blamed, but the aristocratic women blamed the prostitutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you said, vermin, they were like, oh, it's their fault that the men are falling. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. So, but like I said, it was just such a major, um, I don't know, break of class distinction for her to go and minister to these girls. But I think the Lord was using it to prepare her for what would come in the future, like you did with Mary Slessor, with everybody we talk about, you know, I mean, that was a hard ministry to these girls and she was going into hard ministry in the future. So she carries on with that for quite a while into her early mid thirties. She's working with the prostitutes and basically wearing herself out. She didn't have the greatest health anyway, but mm-hmm. she was just so willing and had such a heart because in her mind, she's like, these are the people Jesus would have reached out to. That's right. That vision of Jesus kind of, again, like we talked about, with Mary Slusser, the way that you see God is how you live your life. And they they saw Jesus and his sacrifice mm-hmm. and felt like, well, I can't do enough for him, like if mm-hmm. he's done so much for me. What you see with these women, too, is that they were acquainted with Jesus, not just through creedal, you know, yeah, connection, yeah. like, oh, he died for me and he rose again. Yeah. Um, because I think when that's your only connection with Jesus, you can get really legalistic. Yes. But they saw Jesus in his humanity, mm. how mm-hmm. he walked on earth, how he interrelated to people, how he talked to people yes, and what he did. And I know even though we're not at Amy Carmichael, but she's <laughs> always in her books, always relating what Jesus did yes. with the call on her own life. I love it. And we see that with also Lilius Trotter, how later when we talk about it, how much she understood the parables of Jesus yes, and how yeah. much she understood the personhood of Jesus. Yes. And I think that's really important as we're talking about these missionaries mm-hmm. to understand that they were interested in the personhood of Jesus. I mean, this is mm-hmm. what they studied. Mm-hmm. This is what they occupied themselves with. And I think this is what gave them that heart of ministry Yes, and that heart to go onto the mission field. Yes, which is nice, nice lead in right there to where segue, segue. <laughs> as we lead into her missions work, because that's exactly that is such a great, great point, because it is true. The heart of Jesus was what compelled her after this. So she's like I said, she was settled in working with the YWCA. She was loving the ministry and seeing the Lord move and work. She planned on doing it for the rest of her life. She didn't see any change. And then she was, I believe, at a YWCA convention and somebody got up and spoke about missions in Africa and for, I mean, it was just like one of those moments where the Lord was just like, okay, that's for you. You're going mm-hmm. to go there next. And she said, okay. I mean, she was just very, here am I, send me, Lord, and was ready to go within a year. I believe she left in 18, was it 1888? That, yeah, that would have been about right. About 1888. 
she felt the Lord call her to Algeria. So she goes not down to Africa, Africa, the deep heart of Africa, um, but to North Africa to work with Muslims Mm -hmm. in Algeria in a very, very difficult field. And so she and a couple friends, it's cute, both of their names were Blanche. It was a real hot name back then, I guess. So (laughs) the Blanches and Lilius. They go and live in Algiers. Um, they moved to Algiers. It's a it's Arabic, but also French speaking. And they spoke French as upper class women. So they, you know, were able to get by. But obviously they want to connect with the people. So they get to where they move as close as they can to the Arab quarter, begin to reach out to the kids. Because, again, they're realizing, OK, this is Muslim culture. This isn't just like where I can walk out on the street and just talk to anyone anytime. They had to find inroads to connect with the people and through the children, especially because there were a lot of kids and also abandoned children. There were orphans. There were all kinds of kids running around. Well, that I was, was their reading, connection. Yeah. I was reading too about the children from the age of 10, they mm. would kick the boys out of the house and make the boys scavenge for food on their own because the households could not afford wow. to feed the children. Wow. So a lot of times the children were either sold into slavery at young ages mm. to more wealthy houses. Mm. And so this is a, another reason the children were just mainly wandering the streets, uh, begging for food, that they feeding the children, it made them accessible uh, mm. for ministry. Yes, I love it. That's good. A practical need. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what Lilius and her friends, you know, felt led to do just to go and see how they could reach out practically and help. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they were invited into the homes and they were able to even provide medical aid, like all kinds of things as the women and the moms Mm -hmm. began to trust them Mm -hmm. and bring them in. Of course, anytime a man showed up, they had to everybody had to scatter and get out of the way. But whenever the men weren't around, they had freedom Mm -hmm. to move among these women and then eventually to begin to share Jesus. Right. And then I was reading about some of the men that came to them secretly Mm -hmm. and received the Lord. Mm -hmm. And one of the hardest things for Lilius Trotter was how almost every convert was murdered. Yes. Yes. Can you imagine? (laughs) And the guilt that she felt when every convert was murdered, like, Lord, is it worth it? Mm -hmm. You know, is this right Mm -hmm. uh, to Mm -hmm. lead people to Christ when they're going to suffer and they're going to be murdered? Mm -hmm. And do you remember the word the Lord spoke to her? Go ahead. Go ahead. I love that. Well, I'm going to paraphrase. Okay. So (laughs) it was something along the lines of if you could see them right Mm -hmm. now where they are in glory, you would you would hear them say, it was worth it. Yes. And the Lord gave her the scripture. In fact, I was just reading this uh, this morning in mm. Second Corinthians chapter four, that our light affliction, which is but for yes. a moment, is working for us a far greater weight of glory. Yes. And that was one of the scriptures the Lord gave her. Oh. You're saving them eternally. Amen. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. I'd forgotten about that quote, but it's just so precious. And that, you know, that gave her hope. Right. Because, you know, it was really, besides being very difficult conditions. You've mm-hmm, got the mm-hmm. heat. Yeah. You've got, yeah. you know, you're in a spiritually hostile environment. Yes. I was reading that one of the men that was really seeming to grow and had a lot of potential, that he was found in a ditch murdered. Mm. And that was one that they really grieved over because yeah. they were so, so close to him mm-hmm. and they had invested so much spiritually in him. Mm. And he had been so brave and so stalwart for the Lord. Mm. And that was crushing. Yeah. In fact, she said that every single murder was crushing. The women were mainly poisoned by their oh, husbands. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, drugged by their families. Um, there were a couple gals, but they were like just constantly in a state of like a stupor, kind of yes. drugged all the time and kind of brought under the power of this woman where they just were like zombified and, and they couldn't come to the meetings anymore because they couldn't even function. All of these just the crushing oppression. In fact, 
they had so many Muslims angry at them that Lilith and Blanche, their house, they uh, the front door, they called it the door of a thousand dents because people were constantly throwing stuff at their door and mm. yelling at them and just angry all the time. And when it you consider hostile. she was, again, from the upper class, not a robust woman. She no, was no, petite, physically weak. Yeah. And she was very feminine, mm-hmm. which is really interesting that, you know, the Lord would send her to this type of culture. Yeah. Boy, talk about using, yeah, the weak things, right? Right. <laughs> the foolish and the weak yes. things to confound the things that are mighty. And that's exactly, that was exactly Lilius's experience that the Mm -hmm. Lord just, and I think really what gave her strength was the hope that she had. That's something you really see when you read her writings and biographies, Mm -hmm. you see just this thread of hope. She never stopped hoping for salvation for the Muslims, for what God could do um, in spite of all of the opposition coming against them. And what is amazing is that she began to really understand the Arabic thought process. Yes. And she began to realize that stories really spoke mm-hmm, to these people mm-hmm. and she could illustrate those stories. And that was a really cool thing, too, because, you know, you think about I, I know when I've taught on her story before, you know, you think about her giving her artwork up to the Lord and saying, right. all right, Lord, I'm going to seek first your kingdom, not art. But the Lord gave it back. That's and right. the Lord gave it back redeemed. Mm-hmm. And now for an eternal purpose, not just for a piece of art that would hang in a gallery, but something that could go and change lives. And the Lord, especially during World War I, when the ministry kind of hunkered down a lot, that was when making Arabic tracks, like you said, the storytelling, that's when it really came to fruition for now, her. Two of those books are available. They've been republished. Yes, that's right. Which one? Is it the Parables of the Cross? Pa- Parable life? of the Cross and Parable of the Sower. Okay. Or of the Seed. Parable of the Seed oh, or the Sower. My mom would know. Yeah, well— <laughs> You'll have to look oh, it up. You yes, one of them is Parable of the Cross. Yes. Life, yes. Oh, and the illustrations are just gorgeous. Oh, they're beautiful. And the writing and the way she explains it is very poetic. It's beautiful. Yes. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, again, like in her writings, all of that, that mm-hmm. started to become a big, bigger part of her ministry as she got older. She mm-hmm. was an invalid toward the end of her life as well. So I think that that was something that she could you know, felt an outlet that she could still yes. serve with. Okay, but so. she began to do something that I absolutely oh, before hate. That. Yes. What? She began to go camping. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She started. <laughs> and they set up those tents right outside these these cities. Crazy. Explain that a little now, bit. Now, that's wild, that. too, because like Cheryl said, she had she was frail. She didn't have great health or constitution. But she and her friends started feeling like led out to the desert to go out yes. into the Sahara and find unreached people groups because there were a lot of tribes out there and different groups that there was no way they would hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. They're just out there in the middle of nowhere. And so they began to camp to go and just find these groups to minister to, to bring books, Bibles. People were so hungry, hungry spiritually. Right, right. <laughs> and they would be able to talk to them for hours. They'd be able to talk to the men more mm-hmm. easily because they weren't necessarily Muslim or under those strict standards, these particular groups. And so it gave them an in with the entire tribe. Now, if I remember right, too, they would camp outside Mm -hmm. and make a foray in and the people then would come out to them. Oh, I like that. And uh, they they knew that if somebody came out to them, they were really earnest. Yes. uh, To know. And it reminded me of Moses in the tent of meeting that he, you know, camped outside and said, you know, anyone who's interested in the Lord, Mm. this is. This is where he is. And that was part of what Mm. they would do is they would go in, they would share, and then they would be at the tent available to anybody who was interested. Mm -hmm. That's so great. I love these added details that you're bringing in. 
Because you read a different wrote different books. Than I you. read different <laughs> books than you did. Yes, and we'll get to that on on the next. Oh, podcast. there's a lead there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little tie-in. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. One other thing about the desert travel that is just so remarkable, you know, we think, oh, okay. So she just, they just went, cruised around from oasis to oasis or village to village. Well, you got to remember this is the Sahara and it was very unpredictable. That's right. Not only could you maybe have an unscrupulous guide who could lead you astray or rob you or something like that, but you also- And there were robbers. There were bands of robbers. There's bandits all over the Mm -hmm. place, but you also had to make sure you hit all of your markers along the way because the desert, everything looks the same. And if you went the wrong direction, I remember one of her biographers was saying, you know, if you go off like half a degree off the compass, after a while, you're miles and miles away from your destination, you'll die. You'll just be dehydrated out there and die. And so just the boldness, the confidence in God, you mm-hmm. know, and the faith to be, yeah. to know God will sustain us. He'll protect and provide. I mean, it's just so, it's amazing. So mm-hmm. one other thing too, I'd, later in life, she became more of a, a writer and was able to use that as an outlet. One little fun fact I love is that there was a, a quote from her that became a well-known hymn. The lyrics were converted into the well-known hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Oh. A little fun fact. Nobody knows? Yeah, because yes. she has a whole, I won't read the whole quote, mm-hmm. but it's really, really neat. You read it, you're like, that's where that came from. Oh, read the quote. Where is it? Oh, I've oh. got to find it. It's like, turn your soul's vision on. <laughs> well, one <laughs> of the things, too, about her, besides her artwork, is that she kept a journal. Yes. And I, I think that we've lost the art of journaling. Mm. And I think when you journal, mm-hmm. you begin to see how God has been in your day, you know, mm-hmm. and in all the activity of your day, things that you might just accept or consider mundane or you might forget are recorded. And I love the fact that she kept a journal because many of those who her biographers were able to access those journals. And I think of that scripture, though they're dead, they still live, yes, you know, and they still speak to us. Mm. Hebrews chapter uh, eleven, I believe, mm-hmm. where it's you know they still speak to yeah, us. Angels will speak, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that what the Lord did in Lilius and with Lilius still speaks to us. Okay, mm-hmm. you found the quote? absolutely. I found it. Yes, there's a big long one. I won't read the whole thing, but just this one little part at the end. She's basically talking about having a, a life that's just focused and intent on Christ, and how effective it is the more focused we are. And she said, "Turn full your soul's vision to Jesus." And look and look at him, and strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him, and the divine trait will lay hold of you. For, and this is actually my favorite quote from her. This is one of my all-time favorite quotes. For he is worthy to have all there is to be had in the heart that he died to win. That, I just, I don't know. I, I'm always so blessed by that. Again, that thought of turning your soul's full vision on Jesus, but also the fact that he's worthy of everything in the heart he died to win. And it just keeps going back to the same thing we were talking about earlier, that vision of Jesus. And seeing his worthiness, it just makes us want to respond in life, in love. And, you know, she was single. We mentioned that before, but she's also really beautiful. Yes. When you look at the picture, she's, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's so beautiful. And yet she gave that up. You know, mm. the idea of marriage in her era, mm. getting married and getting married to the right person. Yes. Was class. everything. Yep. yep. And she gave that all up to serve the Lord, not only in art career, but mm. the idea of marriage, and in one of the books I read, she had many suitors, many who oh, were not after surprising. her. Yep. And she was just so focused on Christ. Mm. She just wanted to serve him and him alone. And that just wasn't in in her considerations. Mm-hmm. She just wanted to go. So, okay, we're that. back in Algiers. We're back in. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I said, they continued with that outreach into the desert for quite a period of time. There were seasons where it was thriving and doing well, mm-hmm. but then there was a several-year period where uh, 
where things got really oppressive. Right. You know, and a lot of those right. things that we've talked about, right. you know, where where they were just constantly being beaten down. There was a point where the Muslim authorities opened like a a women's club and a children's meeting like right across the street from them. And so everybody felt pressure and they couldn't attend anymore. So they went through those seasons. But even in those moments, you know, Lilius would say things like, if the devil has new resources, God has more. I remember she that. Always, yes. yes. And she just always had hope that this is spiritual. You know, we're not going to look at what's going on around us physically. We're going to go go to battle spiritually and pray. And, and I remember win. that she had such an awareness of spiritual warfare. Yes. And, yes. and that this is the devil. This isn't people. Our struggle is not against yes. flesh and blood. But we are struggling with the great enemy, Satan mm-hmm. himself. Yes, yes. And it really, and I think that's what really enabled her to mm-hmm. keep persevering and not to give up and turn around and go home, but to mm-hmm. just press on. And it was neat. Toward the end of her life, she said there was a season of retrieval where they saw the Lord bring back, bring a harvest to some of those things that they had thought were dead. Mm-hmm. Those seeds that were planted, they had germinated and blossomed. There were many, and this is cool because this is something that goes on today. There were Muslims having visions yes. and, and that would confirm the truths yes. of what they, Lilius and her friends were talking about. Really, really remarkable things that the Lord was doing there. And so it was sweet to see like just a life fully well-lived in pursuit of, like you said, in pursuit of that one thing, in pursuit of Jesus and all of the you know fruit that was born as a result of that. You know, I think of that where Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Lilius followed Jesus, and he made mm. her a fisher of men. And you think of mm. how many lives in England her life, her life touched, mm. and how mm-hmm. many yes. 